Look, I'm Thomas Drance. I scared our producer so much. That was awesome. I hope I scared all of you in your cars as well. <laughs> Tom, you okay? You gonna get over this? Thank you for blowing out the mics. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> you know how I sound. At some point, at some point, Dom, isn't that on the producer? My host yells often. No, yeah, that's why we have you set on the lowest possible setting. <laughs> anyway. We, had, we haven't gotten a what's up from you today, I don't. I don't say what's up. That's that's Jamie's thing. In jest. <laughs> I'll say it when I introduce the whiteboard, maybe. Anyway, of course, this is Canucks Talk. We're brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the work site. Find them together online at dleamc.com. Coming to you live, of course, from the Kintech studio. Kintech is Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet. What are you waiting for? And JanPro is the leader in commercial cleaning and janitorial. If your workplace demands a clean environment, contact JanPro for a free, no obligation quote. Visit janpro.ca. That's J-A-N-P-R-O.ca. All right, let's do it. Let's uh, let's get into the daily dive on what's up around the Vancouver Canucks. Here's the whiteboard. <laughs> All right, now, fellas, hey, let's focus up, huh? Let's begin as we always do with the headlines, and headline number one. The Canucks drop their third consecutive regulation loss in Denver, Colorado, to the Colorado Avalanche. Now, look, obviously it sucks to lose three in a row. Canucks haven't at any point this season lost three in a row in regulation. That's an incredible achievement. Um, and they played well. I mean, honestly, they played well. Second leg of a back-to-back at elevation. It was their seventh game in, I think, 11 nights since the back-to-back in Washington and Detroit. That's included multiple cross-continental flights. So a a super condensed schedule for Vancouver of late. Put in a solid effort. I mean, the Avalanche have a real problem. It's it's they don't have enough dudes. They have they have a lot of guys. They don't have enough dudes. And I thought that showed last night, and and was partially to the Canucks' credit. The Avs had a grand total in all situations of eight shots on goal in minutes where Nathan McKinnon was not on the ice. Unfortunately, Nathan McKinnon was on the ice for twenty minutes, twenty plus minutes, and in those minutes, the Avalanche, uh, yeah, they controlled play. They outplayed the Canucks narrowly. They got the bounces. The Canucks didn't. Um, you know, some some bad luck. Vancouver had multiple yawning cages. Elias Lindholm and Philip Peronik with a slapper that that you know I think a lot of people were fairly second guessing. Um, you know that that sort of cost the Canucks. They couldn't buy that one extra goal. Power play really struggled. Didn't generate nearly enough. Penalty kill got off the Schneid and prevented goals, but didn't prevent a ton of Avalanche scoring chances. I mean, that was a Demko kill more than it was a Canucks penalty kill bouncing back to form after the meltdown that we saw in St. Paul on Monday. Nonetheless, Vancouver's 5-on-5 form, pretty good. I think the right way to view this here, in my view anyway, is not to focus on the three games, but to focus on the more protracted nine-game stretch that we've seen the Canucks play since returning from the All-Star break. And over the course of that protracted nine-game stretch, the Canucks are 4-4-1. They've played 500 hockey since the All-Star break. Now, this was a team that has margin for error, right? Like this team has played so well to this point in the season. They've accumulated so many points that 
you know, they have a lead. Like, they have a lead at the top of the Western Conference. They still sit atop the Western Conference despite a three-game losing streak. They have a lead atop the Pacific Division. They're still relatively safely ensconced atop the Pacific Division despite this three-game losing streak. However, you know, the Edmonton Oilers, like, loom with six games in hand, which is preposterous, uh, in the rearview mirror. And... You know, I don't want to say objects are closer than they appear. I think that's a little much, but certainly they're still visible on the horizon. You know, like a like a Mad Max war party <laughs> looming across the desert here. And that's something that Vancouver has to be at least a little bit aware of, in my view. Edmonton's won at a 7.69 point percentage since Chris Knobloch took over behind the bench from uh, Jay Woodcroft. Now, that's a preposterous point clip. That's like a 125-point team. That's like a historically good NHL regular season team. Probably don't maintain that over the balance of the season. But but could they maintain a 700-point percentage clip? I think they could. Like that, that, to me, is realistic, doable for the Oilers. And if they do so, with the games in hand that they have, they'll finish in and around 109 points. Okay? Well, the Canucks are at 80 points. They have 24 games remaining. So if you're going to make it so that game 80 head-to-head against the Oilers isn't a sweat, you know, you, you need like a 6-2-5 point percentage to get to 110 to make it so that it's highly improbable that the Oilers catch you and, and lock you into a playoff series against the Vegas Golden Knights right off the hop, which, you know, nobody wants to see, especially as Vegas filters additional players onto LTI and prepares to do the usual Golden Knights thing, which is bye-bye-bye. So bye-bye-bye, <laughs> like in sync. <laughs> Kelly McCrimmon and Justin Timberlake holding hands. Bye, bye, bye. So with that in mind, you know, I, I do think a nine-game stretch of 500 hockey, it's not the end of the world. This team's going to make the playoffs. Um, they're still in a tremendous position, but their next 10 games need to look better than their last 10 games, right? They do need to be accumulating points at the clip of like a 103-point team, something like that, as opposed to a protracted stretch of 500 hockey. If they do that, if they have another, their next five games or their next 10 games uh, against mostly very difficult opponents come in and look like the last 10 have, this team's going to leave the door open to, you know, be passed at the top of the Western Conference, locking them into a tougher wild card should they win the Pacific, or even to lose their perch atop the Pacific and lock themselves into, a, you know, maybe the toughest single path that anyone would have through the Stanley Cup playoffs, to be totally honest with you, where you're looking at, you know, staring down the barrel of having to beat both Vegas and Edmonton simply to make the conference final. I mean, that's that's a gauntlet. That That's not something you want to have, have to face. So those to me are the stakes. It's... You know, given that the team's defensive form, their five-on-five game has stayed consistent, this losing streak is mostly about special teams. It's mostly about, you know, bounces in one-goal games. I don't think it's something that we we need to, like, be too concerned about or have us alter our opinion about this team. This is still a quality side. Um, They're going to probably have better results going forward, but they need to, right? They need to. There are stakes here. This isn't simply a, like, dust your hands off and move on. Uh, This is a, a meaningful little bit of adversity, and the Canucks do need to bounce back from it if they're going to go as far as everyone in this market would love to see them go this spring. All right, headline number two, Arshdeep Baines makes his NHL debut 
and impresses, like genuinely impressed. Now, we've had some texters in saying things like, his underlying numbers were bad. You're the analytical show. Don't get too overhyped on the local kid. Here's the thing, man. Okay, it wasn't a perfect debut, but perfect's not the relevant standard here. Yes, he took a penalty. I thought it was a bad luck penalty. I don't think there's anything soft about that penalty. I I'm pretty confident that Rick Tockett would agree that's not the sort of penalty that you get concerned about a, a player taking. Yes, he was dashed too, but his involvement on the breakdowns on both goals, and frankly, one of them wasn't a breakdown at all, was just a weird bounce in uh, riding up Connor Garland's stick blade. To me, to me anyway, Baines isn't culpable in any way on those goals. Additionally, the, the Avalanche made a game plan of trying to jump that line. Right, They knew there was a guy making a, a, his NHL debut on the Canucks' third line, and whenever they could, they, they you know, having last change at on home ice, they were throwing the McKinnon-McCarr duo at that third line. And guess what happens when you play against McKinnon head-to-head? -head? You, you get outshot. Your underlying numbers are going to look bad. He's Nathan McKinnon for a reason. Uh, consider that, you know, in head-to-head -head matchups against Heronic and Hughes, <laughs> against McKinnon last night, their underlying numbers looked bad. In head-to-head -head minutes against Elias Pettersson, the Canucks were outshot 5-2 of Pettersson versus McKinnon. Uh, same story with JT Miller. Two shots for McKinnon, including uh, the, the empty netter, or not the empty netter, but a goal, and the and then and then one shot for, for the Canucks. So that, that's how it goes. Like, you're going to typically get outshot, outchanced, um when you you're playing head to head against Nathan McKinnon if you you got to look past that you got to look past that and look at what Baines really did in his NHL debut and there were a couple standout traits to me that I think augur very well for him potentially getting a longer run here including tomorrow night in Seattle and maybe going forward I, i'm not even just talking about for next season uh, although he's clearly going to be an option there I, I mean can he help this team now especially given that Di Giuseppe and Neil Zaman and Sam Lafferty and Ilya Mikheyev have combined for like, I don't think they've got a goal as a group since the calendar flipped to 2024. Here, here's the things that I liked about Baines's game. I thought his defensive positioning and reads were like remarkable at a remarkable level for a guy playing his first NHL game. Additionally, the work rate and in particular, the stop starts, like he was busting his tail to slam on the brakes and maintain position on guys in the defensive zone. He had a nose, an evident nose, for the sorts of details that talk it prizes in evaluating players. That's, I think, partly why, and the energy level thing, he got rewarded with the sort of ice time that he got in the third period, even as Mikheyev, uh, Phil DiGiuseppe, uh, Niels Amon and company saw their minutes reduced greatly in the final frame as the Canucks were chasing the avalanche. If your standout skill as an NHL debutante are the sorts of skills that tend to earn trust from coaches, right? Not the flashy stuff, but the details, right? The, the staples stuff. That tends to be a good sign for your ability to stay in the lineup, for your ability to carve out a role. Now, as we know, Adrenaline plays a big role in how call-up players perform, especially in their first week of games, five games. And the work rate side of what Baines brought was what leapt off the page. 
if he's going to be a regular in this lineup, if he's going to crack this lineup, the lineup of a team that ranks second in the NHL in point percentage as we speak today and first in the Western Conference and first in the Pacific, not an easy team to get minutes on, by the way, right? If he's going to do that, that work rate level, right? That, that that ability to chip at every opportunity, the the stop starts, the just the way that he busted his tail, that needs to be at consistent. Like that needs to be maintained at 100%, at 110% to, to use a classic impossible sports cliche. Because if it's not, then the competition's going to be too fierce, especially once Joshua gets back in the lineup for him to maintain a, a roster spot, right? At least at least near term this year. That to me is going to be the thing to watch here, especially if Baines gets another game or two. And, and given his performance, I would strongly expect that he does. I would strongly expect that we'll see Baines in the lineup on Thursday uh, against Seattle. And if he sticks in the lineup, that's, that's the thing to watch over the next couple weeks is can he maintain that intensity that he brought in his debut? If he can, I actually think there's a path to him being helpful as soon as this year. Maybe as a depth option, maybe as a 13th forward or a fourth liner, but nonetheless helpful this season, which is a remarkable place to be given you know his undrafted status as a free agent and even what he did in his first AHL season to be at this point where I think he's a realistic option to contribute at the bottom end of this Canucks lineup. Uh, that's that's an amazing step for a young player. So congratulations to him. I know it meant a lot to South Asian hockey fans in this city. Uh, and, and it would have been a great story even if he hadn't performed well, but make no mistake, he performed really well. There's something there. All right, that's going to do it for headlines. Let's move on to the broadsheet. Rumors. Rumors. Okay. So Dolly Wall brought up Phil Kessel. Seems like there's still some road to run before Kessel becomes an option. Uh, he still needs to clear some physical tests. There's some benchmarks yet. Uh, look, we all know where this is going ultimately, and we all know that it has to be done before March 8th for him to have eligibility to compete for the Canucks in the playoffs. I, you know, I think he was brought in originally to be an extra body, but as Vancouver's sort of forward depth issues have, and they're not issues, but... As Vancouver's forward depth has been tested, I think the case for this team signing Phil Kessel has become a lot more convincing over the course of the past week uh, than it was when he was first spotted at YVR. Um, but as Dolly Wall notes, pump the brakes a little bit. This isn't a tomorrow thing. He's still going to need some time to ramp up and convince the Canucks to tender him that one-year contract. He also mentioned Dolly Wall on the crossover on Canucks Talk in our previous segment, mentioned the Avs, Stars, and Oilers as being all in on Tanev. So the Tanev bidding could be interesting here. Flames still holding out for a first-round pick. Canucks have never agreed with that valuation. It's why Tanev isn't currently in Canucks colors, despite the fact that a bunch of players would very much like uh, to see Tanev return to Vancouver. Uh, there's definitely some internal concern, Dollywall reported, about Tanev landing with one of the other Western Conference teams. I, I highlight the Oilers as the absolute worst-case scenario. To me, that team is one more top-four right-handed defenseman, uh, a player that would push Cody Ceci onto the third pair and uh, give Nurse a little bit more support, especially if he had some defensive-minded support and could freelance a little bit, a, a bit more. I think that's where Darnell Nurse... Um, is at his best. Uh, that to me is a really scary prospect given how good Edmonton is already. Um, Want to note too that over in 
Pittsburgh, and we're always keeping an eye on Pittsburgh, even though the Canucks have already added significantly to their top six forwards with Elias, the Elias Lindholm trade, uh, the, the Penguins are reeling. Their playoff odds have crumbled over the course of the past two weeks since the All-Star break ended. Uh, Kyle Dubas spoke with media and says how the team played in the next two weeks. This is per Josh Yoey, my colleague at The Athletic. He said the team's performance over the next two weeks will determine their thought process as to whether or not Jake Gensel is traded. Dubas reiterating, we know we need to get younger. A situation still to monitor, especially with, you know, Arvidsson hurt again in L.A., possible LTI space being created for the Kings to keep loading up. That team's stabilized here. I don't know if you saw the Quinton Byfield goal last night, but if you didn't, go check it out. That was outrageous. The Kings are a threat. Do not let a January doldrums that cost Todd McClellan his job confuse you. The Kings are a threat, and now they're going to have cap flexibility. Vegas, Jack Eichel went on LTI yesterday. Hmm. Mark Stone left the game last night. Hmm. That Vegas team is going to have flexibility to add another scary prospect, given that they may be the most obvious sleeping giant in the Western Conference that I can remember. Lineup notes. So the Canucks had a team day off today. They will have a morning skate, presumably, in Seattle tomorrow. I'll be there. I'll be there on site. And then I'll be joining you remotely. So we'll have time to break down what the Canucks lineup looks like ahead of their game against the Kraken. For now, what's what's notable is Baines remains on the roster uh, as of 1230, so as of 15 minutes ago, according to the NHL's roster site. I, I Honestly, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, with the way the ice time was distributed and the reliability that Baines showed, I would... Very, I would very confidently assert that I think we'll like I think we'll see Baines again on Thursday night in Seattle. We'll find out tomorrow. Let's get to the playoff odds now. The thing I want to talk about in the playoff odds. So this we always cite Dom Lecision's model at the Athletic for this, and there's a thing I want to talk about here. So obviously with the Canucks having lost three in a row, their odds of winning the Pacific Division, which spiked as high as 75%, uh, you know, uh, a week ago, are are down to 58% with the Edmonton Oilers at 30%, given that they keep winning as the Oilers want to do. Um, Dom's model's point projection gap between the Canucks, and I sort of got into this a little bit uh, earlier in this segment, 109. For the Oilers, 107. Well, that's a tight enough gap that it could come down to game 80, which is why the Canucks can't afford to have a a losing streak that becomes protracted here, right? That this needs to get arrested. Seattle needs to be a get right spot for this team. And and honestly, it's a big game in my view, not, not a big game in in terms of like it having actual consequences for how we'll view this team long-term, but a game where the Canucks are going to be desperate to get back on track and the Kraken whose playoff odds, you know, are, are still extant albeit fading a little bit, need, like, need desperately. So we're going to see two desperate teams, two desperate Pacific Northwest teams um, duke it out on Thursday. It's going to be a big game from a fun perspective, from an interest perspective. I wanted to bring up this, though. Dom Lecision's model also tracks strength of schedule, okay? Now, the Canucks, to this point in the season, have have faced the second easiest schedule in the NHL in terms of their opponents' projected points through their games played. Now, there's a lot of context that's missed in that number. Travel, 
right? The Canucks have one of the most arduous travel schedules in the league. That's not factored in. Uh, the Canucks have faced the highest proportion of road games in their schedule. Yes, their opponents will be more difficult, but they're going to be at home avoiding some of the miles uh, that they've logged to this point over the past two months. That's not factored in. Um, and I'd add this, like the five teams that have faced the easiest schedule to this point in the season, Vegas, Winnipeg, Colorado, Vancouver, Boston, no shame in being among that group. Like, great. Good for you guys. But I want to point it out because the rest of the way, Vancouver has the sixth most difficult schedule and they're the only Western Conference team among the t- top 10 with the in the top 10 teams in terms of the highest degree of difficulty remaining. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers and the Vegas Golden Knights both face a below average level of difficulty here, the difficulty here the rest of the way. The LA Kings actually have one of the softest schedules in the league going forward. Just a, just a thing I wanted to point out because it's worth monitoring here. You know, it's not going to be straightforward. The Canucks need to probably win at something like a 6-2-5 point pace. 102, 103-point pace over the balance of the campaign if they're going to hold off Edmonton and win the division, and they're going to have to do it, yes, at home, but against some really difficult opponents. Just wanted to spotlight that. All right, let's get to the betting odds, the Pacific Division odds in particular, because I think that's the theme uh, of this show overall. The Canucks spiked at minus 450 last week. Minus 450 to win the Pacific Division. They're now minus 204. The Edmonton Oilers, who got to plus 400 last week, are now plus 289 to win the Pacific Division. It's not tight yet. It's not something to sweat yet. But it could get that way in a hurry if the Canucks keep dropping games. They'll look to get back on track tomorrow against Seattle. That'll do it for the whiteboard. We'll be back on the other side with our friend and yours, Jason Bukla.